valley of your career, the Bothamus can get you back on the Billboard Hot 100. Having trouble coming up with music for your debut hentai? The Poptimus can score it to win you can't ignore it. Need a theme song for your podcast? Call The Poptimist. Lost in a Glimpse soundtrack by The Poptimist. Now streaming everywhere. May cause bleeding, convulsions, or erectile dysfunction. The Poptimist is not legally responsible for any damages accrued and is insured by IndyMaggie Sports Betting, Inc. Incorporated. I'm the Poptimist, and I approve this message. Please reach out to me at thepoptimistpodcast at gmail.com for any inquiries into producing, session work, or co-writes. supposed to get a cloud lifter for, for these microphones because it's like sometimes the volume is, is fucked up, and I have to go back and like... Bring stuff up. Yeah, bring it way like boosted. Otherwise, it's way too quiet. So That's, that's really interesting. I'd, I'd have to... The Cloudlifter brings up, I mean, would bring up the game, but I'm surprised that the output on these is what they are. I'll look at it. I'll look yeah. into it for you, too. Yeah, that would be awesome. Here, maybe that would help if I boost the fucking... There we go. I mean, I hear it. <laughs> is it too loud? No, I'm good, man. I, that's cool. Awesome. Whatever's comfortable for you. And I don't need to hear my voice. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Hearing you is more important. <laughs> yeah. Um. So today we have Phil Silverberg. Did I pronounce that right? That is, oh. I, I, you know, honestly, it's I when I try to say it, I, I know it sounds crazy. I stumble over it. Really? There's something about, yeah, Silverberg. I, I know that sounds crazy, but even when I say my own name, I feel like, am I saying that right? <laughs> You're from New Jersey originally, right? Yes, sir. Okay. How long have you been in Nashville for? I moved down, so just over a year and a half now, July 4th of 21, I believe. Or is that, if my math is wrong, it might be wrong. And we met playing a gig together with the Eldridge Band. That was the first time we met. You're a great fucking keyboard player, dude. Oh, thank you, man. That's uh, one of the things I came here to do. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's like you have to, when you, when you live in Nashville, you have to, and you're pursuing the arts in general, you got to have a utility belt of different things that you can do or ser- services, I, I say that in air quotes, that you can provide. Sure. So it's and it's like for me, you know, I've been largely inactive playing live this past year because honestly, man, I just got burned out and I've talked about it a ton on the podcast. Nothing bad with like anybody that I was playing with. Everything ended well. But long story short, I just felt like I reached the peak of what I could do because I was getting calls from all these hot East Nashville bands and I'm glad to do it. But once you hit like a certain level. I was like, I could just keep doing this and, and riding it, but what else is there to do? No, know? and and honestly, that was part of my thinking in moving to Nashville. Um, in New Jersey, I kind of felt I – New Jersey, New York. I was northern New Jersey, and I was definitely more Jersey than New York, but spending plenty of time in New York also. And I kind of had felt that I had hit that same place where I was like – um, you know, I was not the top dog by any means. There was better players and people busier than I, but I was very busy. I would say I probably did burn out. Um, I also had some lousy experiences with like, I went on tour with a woman who didn't pay us after, you know, a month of touring with her and I had signed a contract and gone into that whole thing. And that experience was really, really lousy because it, it was uh, a moment where when she gave us the contract, I thought I had done it the thing that everybody it was we were on retainer 
So I was getting paid for sitting at home and getting paid for around the road. And it was in the contract. And I was like, this is the dream. This is what every musician wants is to be paid, you know, regardless. Right. You know, like that's how, and I, it, I should have seen it coming. Cause it just sat, it was, it sounded too good to be true. It was too good to be true. What, um, what was her deal? Like not, not asking her, her name or anything like that. What was the genre and sure. What was the situation of how you got that gig? So it was, it was a blues artist. Um, I got the gig through a bass player that I was. V- oh, so, yeah. So basically the b- bass player, her name's Justine. Um, huge fan of Justine. Justine was playing bass for an- another organ player named John Ginty. Um, John is the reason I really got into playing B3 to begin with. Um, he hired me at a school of rock in New Jersey 12, 13 years ago. Um, and was the first person to be like, Hey, you ever play B3? And I was like, I'd love to, but I haven't had a chance to. He's like, well, try that one. So Justine was his bassist for his solo project. And so when she called me and was like, Hey, I'm going on the road with this other artist. I'd love to have you as the keys player. John said, you're the guy. And I was like, say no more. I'm in. Uh, and I was super excited to go do that. So that's how I got pulled into it. And she was MDing and kind of also, uh, I guess, kind of doing the tour management stuff side of it also. So that was how I got pulled in. I don't know how much she knew about the artist at the time or not. Um, but we knew that, you know, through social media, the, the artist was touring nationally, internationally and, and doing a thing. Signed to a blues label. Um, you know, so we saw all of that um and then like i said we were all presented with a 10-page contract that was you know very legit i had a lawyer and a manager go over it both agreed this is a real contract you know like this is good stuff congratulations um you know i remember sitting there with my younger brother and like both of us like actually he burst into tears first and like caught me off guard because he was just so we were both for him he was realizing like this is what you've been working for forever yeah so i was really really excited about all of it um and then we did a couple gigs and those got paid normally like basically there was a short run that we did in the northeast that was like four gigs kind of as like let's see how the band does and then we had like a week off and then we did a headlining two or three shows out in the netherlands um oh shit okay so it was like no it was that was the thing it was it was hard it was hard not to think like this is all really legit (laughs) you know like yeah definitely went to the netherlands and definitely played venues with you know a thousand or more people sitting there you know definitely there to see her um so the whole thing was just kind of and then the top of the year rolled through and we were doing national a national tour january 1st january 2nd i think we rolled out the first leg was straight from new jersey to san francisco three days oh Um, shit yeah like direct and i had never been in a band that long ever that was this was my first like real touring experience to that extent i guess i had done from new jersey to nashville so 10 hours we were doing 16 hours a day you know? yeah um, and then going and playing a gig we and, hopped and out then, and loading out and then we got to san francisco to the next one. we got to san francisco hopped out of the van and we were playing you know that we had just enough time i remember my buddy and i uh recreational weed had just gone legal there and we were so super stoked because we're like yes and we got out and apparently it had like not gone i forget if we were in oakland or san francisco 
whichever one it was like not legal in just the section of town we were in oh my god <laughs> and we like walked into the store and we were like so you know we've been in for three days we we're like yes and then the guy was like dudes i'm so sorry <laughs> um and then we went and played the gig and, and that that was the start of that and like i said the first couple gigs good um and then i think the first we were supposed to be getting pay, paid i think weekly the first round of checks my check was the only one that cleared all the other ones bounced. Yeah. And I don't even know how or why because they definitely cashed theirs first. It was probably just banking, you know, whatever it was. It was just I was the lucky one who mine went through. And and then after that, we saw no more money. Uh, so was there a conversation that was had to you about this? Like, look, we fucked up. Or was it just didn't ever talk to you again? Gave you the runaround? The runaround. I mean, basically, you know, she was telling us that the label was going to be helping out and you know, this, that, and just, you could ch just, um, oversights, like almost inexperienced. I, when I look back on it, my gut is that she had probably done a lot of international touring where a lot of the stuff had either been set up by, um, you know, when you go play a festival or something like that, so much of it is handled by the festival. It's all yeah. like, you're coming across the country. They're going to handle your flights, your travel, your hotel. Like th th this is where they've booked everything. There's not much planning in that. You know, you, you're not doing the driving or somebody's shuttling you and that kind of yeah. stuff. So I think all of that fell on her when, she, you know, we started. And, and it's simple stuff like when you rent a van and start traveling across the country, you're going to need to do an oil change at some point when you've already done, you know, 8,000 miles yeah. in the first three days. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was like, you know, I think it was those kinds of things. It was just consistently missing and she was, yeah, I don't know that she meant to be malicious. Yeah, I, for sure. You know, I don't think she was like, I'm going to get Trying to suckers. fuck you, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I got to, I mean, I hope that really isn't who she is. Yeah. Um, I don't think it is, but it, you know, she, it still happened. Yeah, and yeah. she she's definitely never made good on it. And I still see on social media she's touring and this and that. We we had reached out to different bands and groups of artists that had played for her just to be like, hey, did you get paid? <laughs> like, have you ever been paid by her? Um, and what did they say? A, a lot. Basically, what it seems like is like internationally, she does so much more internationally. I think we were like the trial run in the national. Thing. Well, it's so shitty, dude, because. She should own it and be like, hey, I'm going to make good on this. This is totally my fault. I had so many oversights. Maybe introduce a new contract or some kind of payment schedule of when I'm going to pay you guys back. And just be like, I fucked this up royally. This is on me. I'm going to figure out how to get you guys paid, though. Anything. It, yeah. It, man, she gave us nothing. Yeah. Not a, not a message to say, hey, I'm sorry I didn't make good on this. Hey, none of that. And, yeah. and to be honest with you, Justine definitely got it the worst because she – the, the van was on her credit. Like, I mean, all of this oh, stuff was shit. just left. We were just left. And, you know, and basically, so at the end of that January month, we were in Houston. Uh, I think we had like three or four more gigs left on the, on the books. But um, we, we as a band, without her, sat down and were like, what, what do we do? <laughs> like, know? morally, it's not, well, not even morally, but it doesn't even make sense to, to do it. Well, so that was the question. It became like, do we, do we continue on and go play these gigs knowing that we're not going to get paid, or, yeah, it, I mean, it, it was a hard question. And for me, I was, I was struggling with the idea of coming home early and having to explain to people what happened yeah. and telling them, you know, like I, I was feeling like 
I was going to be judged negatively because of how this went down with this artist, which that's not fair. I, you know, I shouldn't have been thinking about that so much. Um, but it, it was just, yeah. I mean, we, so we were in Houston, we came to the decision to, that we were going to basically tell her, look, we'll go play these gigs, but you, the check is going to be handed from whoever's paying at these venues directly to us. There is no, it's not touching your hands. Yeah. All of the money is coming to us and we're going to split it across us. We'll make sure, make sure gas and all that. And then we are going home. Um, so we, we did tough it out and finished it out. Um, did, did you get the money from those gigs? Yeah, but I mean, it was, you know, it was minuscule compared to what you were bucks. owed. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah, a couple hundred bucks across for us to, you know. Yeah. And then the, like, Insult to Injury was like the last gig we were supposed to, we had been told by the venue that they had a place for us to stay. I think it was in Iowa or somewhere out there. Uh, and snow started to fall. They did not have a place for us to stay. And our only option was at the end of the gig to just start driving back to New Jersey. Which, oh, which God. again is another 16 hour, roughly. Jesus Christ. And then the snow just, the storm just followed us all, all the way. And it, it turned it into like a 20, 24 hour trip. Like we, we were in, and I, I've n- never been on highways like that. Like you couldn't see the road. <laughs> there were, yeah. It was not safe, but. It, it, it wasn't safe and it was safe at the same time because there was nobody. <laughs> like, you know? Well, my, my question is for the contract that you signed, were you like, did it protect you at all to where you could go to her and be like, yo, we have this fucking contract, pay us? No, and that's, uh, you'd think yes. That was what, again, that was why I did have a lawyer look at it and I, ha- I, I wanted to know, like, this is a real contract. Unfortunately, it's an example of where the contract doesn't matter because, you know, there's a, a number of reasons. One was we couldn't figure out where, you know, like, is it her LLC you have to go out after or is it her? Yeah. Then it was, well, where is her LLC located? Well, it was uh, based on what we could find was based in New Orleans. <laughs> and we didn't know, was she living in New Orleans or was she living? We, we met her in like the Newark, New Jersey area. Yeah. You know, it didn't really make sense. All of it. And and that's the part where it gets like, I'm not sure like that it, if it was a con or I, I who that's, that's yeah. the part where it does convoluted. Get, it's convoluted, but it's also, I wasn't sure if like she had set herself up intentionally to be impossible to track this way. Yeah. That, that is the only time where I was like, oh, this is really fishy. Yeah. Um, and then I, I had talked to different friends and lawyers about this and that, and some people make it, it's hard. I, again, I don't know enough about this to know, but so, uh, I had heard from one or two people that I would have to go state by state because of being each gig being like a work for hire in each state. Fuck. Yeah. And a lot of work. At the end of it, it probably wouldn't have been worth it. Not at all. Not at all. And then on top of that, she had no money. Yeah. So it, it, you're not getting blood out of the stone, you know? Yeah. So, that was the bottom line was really like, what were we going to do if we finally found her and took her to court? What was it? I guess they could put a lien on her and say, like, you know, pay this back over time. Um, but, but who knows if that even would get resolved like three or five years from whatever the date was. Then it's not going to matter. Right. It's just worth it to let it go and to spiritually just have it off your soul and then be like, well, I learned a lesson. Even though it's shitty to learn those lessons. No, that's, but, and that's ultimately how I took it was I, I went, look, uh, 
you know, let, and I, I teach, you know, I still teach at a school of rock and I, I, I'm, it's lousy to be the example, but I am the example of now. I definitely can see the forest for the trees more, you know, like yeah. when people come to me now with stuff that sounds too good to be true, I, it is every time. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I don't want to be the pessimist in that kind of stuff, but I, I learned. Well, I, it's like, once you get burned like that, you can, when, like, I'm always excited when my friends are doing shit musically. You know what I'm saying? But it, like you were saying, if something sounds too good to be true, it is. Yeah. But like, especially with all the musicians that are kind of running in Nashville, it's varying degrees of business savviness. You know what I mean? It's varying degrees of business minded. Like there's some artists that want to entirely just be like, I don't want to know about anything. And there's others that are running their shit like a business, which right. is what you honestly, you have to do. Oh yeah. So you don't get fucked. No, a hundred percent. It's, it. I, it what's interesting too though in nashville this would never happen it, if it did you You'd would be run out of town immediately yeah there's no way and we as a band you know the rest of the band playing for her um we weren't sure what to do because we aren't the type of people to just you know obviously i have intentionally not named this person um but it, you know it becomes a borderline of like should i be letting people know like this is somebody you know like i, I don't want to be tarnishing somebody's name but she <laughs> ruined us yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, you know the, the, uh, justine is not really doing much music uh, you know as a, she, she had a baby recently and all that kind of stuff but it was already starting to think about stepping back and i think that some of us were really deeply affected by how we wanted to you know that was where i definitely stepped back and said you know what I'm done trying to be the keys player. I want to be a writer and producer because I'm not getting caught in that again. Yeah. Um, definitely came back. I, it took me a month or two to like, you know, want to be doing anything to pick yourself back up from that. I mean, it's, it's a traumatic event, especially with something like music. You know, we do it to express ourselves too. Even if we're just a gun for hire on a gig. Yeah. It's still self-expression. It's better than fucking working for the man. Oh, a hundred percent. So, yeah. And you know, I, it, it, yeah, like I said, it really I, it made me take a step back. But uh, the positive side was that I, for me, it definitely gave me confidence as a player because it was still a tour. It was, you know, I had gone now, traveled outside of the country and played for the first time and really done that thing and saw the responses that you got from people. You know, it's one thing to be around friends and family all your life that are telling you, you're you know, oh, it sound great, it sound great. When you start traveling around the country and it doesn't matter where you go and people are like, man, you sound awesome. You, it, it helps with the confidence, of course. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not that I need that validation, but I had never had any of that. Yeah, totally. So it, it definitely, in that sense, I, I felt like I, and no question, the quality of gigs I got after that were better because for whatever reason, people recognize like, okay, this guy, tours and or like is at a level that he can go do this kind of stuff even though it ended up as shitty as it did yeah so you know that's the that was the positive takeaway for sure she you know you know despite her best efforts still gave me a platform to go stand on and you know it's I, on the resume either way absolutely and like you said the, the the being able to just warn other people about it i i do i do that was why we after a year we wrote our first post and I don't, it, we just kind of all decided after a year, it was like, okay, now this is time to like, let everybody know this happened. Um, same thing. We didn't name names. We just put it out there and said, this happened. And I'm putting this out there just because you, 
musician friends, you need to know this can happen to you. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Because I think a lot of musicians, um, you know, in it's not even something that we're, we're necessarily guilty of because guilty is not the right word. You're so excited when you do get a fucking gig and you're like the guy for an artist that you just you just want to do it. You know what I mean? You're playing music. It's music that you like even better when that happens. doesn't always happen, but that's a story for another <laughs> time. But um, yeah, you just want to be firing off at all cylinders. You feel like you're actually doing it and you're swinging for the fences and one finally connected and then one on the other side of the foul pole. <laughs> I mean, that, that really is it. And, you know, it's, it's, I've, I'm definitely moved on. Um, I've learned the lessons uh, and it's a part of, now it's just a part of the story of how I ended up in Nashville, you know? So like, but I guess that's the, yeah. all, the loop all the way back around yeah, yeah. is that when I moved to Nashville, I wasn't sure. And I'm, I, no, I was pretty sure that I didn't want to come here and, and uh, be a keys player. Like not, exclusively yeah what i loved about the idea of coming here was that i could get a fresh start i, I could just say what i was or wanted to be yeah and people were going to be like cool you're a producer sweet you know yeah and that was just kind of when i first got here I, that's what i did i just then i started playing there were so many jams that like i could actually walk into a jam and there was b3 carriage jam right that's yeah, where you exactly first started playing in nashville yeah that was the first yeah that was the first jam i went to and like that again there's to show up in places where there's a b3 that i can go just play and guys all guys that are b3 players too that are fucking nasty as fuck and you get to hear them and they've been doing it for 40 years 50 years yeah no it's uh I, it's like i said i was lucky in jersey to have met john ginty was like you know the guy that i knew um i can't i didn't personally know anybody else really that was like an organ player up there um and yeah, when I got down here to walk into Carriage Jam and there was an organ in there and then at Bourbon Street, there's yeah. an organ there. And Did like, you ever do Pop Attorneys? Pop Attorneys, been over there. No. Like Again, Fuck, all these yeah. places, you just, you're just you like, there's just an organ here? Like, what? <laughs> you know, that's oh, crazy. Yeah. Well, dude, it, it's for me, I mean, Kara was the the gateway to to my all my experiences in Nashville as well. Um, I, there was this guy that I was working with Dale Hunter, um, and he was a keys player. And that's how uh, I was working with him on this job. It was a sales job. Um, and the job was horrible. But um, he was like this cool old dude who was like, he liked the Allman Brothers, and he liked Eric Clapton, and he liked the blues. And he's like, you got to go out to Karis Jam. Go out on Tuesday night. I'm going to be there. And um, he's like, you got to go up there. I went there. He's like, you got to go up there and put your, your name on the paper. And Kara, like, sits there with the paper. She meets all of the players. And um, I went up to her, and I'm, like, just so sheepishly, like, uh, I'm a bass player. I want to play. And she's, like, can you play? <laughs> she asked everybody if they can play and if they can do it. And I was, like, I was so off-put by the question, but I was, like, yes. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it went good. I mean, the, the first time I went up, there was other times. Dude, I love Kara so much. Um, but there are times I absolutely fucking bombed at her jam and she never once gave me shit. I saw her pull some people off stage because they weren't good enough, but she never once gave me shit because she, uh, she just knew I, 
I love her. Kara, if you're listening, thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I always tell her how important she is. No, for she, sure. She has given so many different players in Nashville a chance. It's how I, how I met. Do you know the reveal, the band, the reveal? I have not personally, but I do know the band. Yes. So um, that's how I met Josh and Dustin. They're in the reveal. Um, they were last week's episode. Sweet. But um, yeah, so uh, that's how I met them. And they're like two of my closest musical friends in Nashville. Like the first time I, that first night I got on stage, it was, or one of the first times was with, um, Dustin and he was playing drums. He, he plays bass in the reveal and he sings. Um, but yeah, it's like all of my friendships, like my true friendships started from that jam. And of course I have friends that I've met outside of it. And, um, like so much of the podcast and all of that, it was all around that same time that everything was kind of starting for sure. And, um, Kara was was super helpful and just encouraging, you know. I was really lucky because to my knowledge she hasn't been running a jam recently. No, yeah. But but I was like when I first showed up there was it was like the last month or two that she was doing it at Twin Kegs. Um and basically I knew about Kara because I have my buddy from New Jersey, he lives in Austin now, his name is Vin Mott, blues artist. He had done some touring through here um and he's friends with another artist Meg Williams in town. Uh, Meg's been on the podcast. Oh, so so he, good friends with Meg, and uh, also Christina Vane. But Meg was Meg was the one that knew Kara really, um, and Vin was like, "You got to go to meet Kara. Tell her you know me. Tell her you know Meg." And he was like, "Kieran is Meg's roommate, or was Meg's roommate? Uh, also a good keys player, amazing keys player." And he was like, "You guys, you know, totally got to meet." And then I think one of the first or second jams. Somebody was like, that's Kieran. You go to, and so I got to introduce myself to Kieran. So it was the same thing. It just became a central point where I got to meet all these people. I, for me, it was also the first place I played, and I was definitely nervous. I had no idea where I stood in the scheme of things. I kind of came, as I was saying before, I came to New Jersey uh, from New Jersey. I, I, look, I knew I could play, but I also, like I said before, I know I'm not the best in the world. I know I have my thing, which is my thing. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to be inspired again. And I knew that I was going to come to Nashville and get my ass kicked. And I was ready for it. Yeah. I was you so... get your ass <laughs> handed to you at those jams. Because it was like I was saying earlier. There's people that get on, on stage here, especially in those blues jams, that have been doing it since they were 15 years old. And they're 65 years old now. Mm-hmm. 70 years old. Mm-hmm. Like, one of, my, one of my favorite players in town. Do you know Goose? Terry Goose Downing? yeah. yeah. He's fantastic. He's so good. And I loved the uh, loved the house band at Pop Attorney's as well. Sure. Um, Three Bean Soup. They're amazing. Um, but yeah, just players like that are so like so friendly and um, encouraging. And they give everyone a chance to kind of do their own thing. Because there is times I, I ate massive shit at Pop <laughs> Attorney's too. And they never... There's this one time in particular that I can think of. Like... Uh, I got up on stage, so it was me, a drummer, and a guitar player, and this dude, he called this song, It's Guilty by Bonnie, Bonnie Raitt, and I didn't know it, I had, and it had a lot of changes too, it wasn't like your standard blues jam, like call out this song, yeah, Yeah. yeah. Um, because it was more like jazz changes, cool. So it was like every couple of bars, dude, I ate shit. Because I didn't know what any of the changes were. Sure. Um, and I just remember getting off stage and, and Goose looked at me. And he's like, good job, Taylor. And I, I just died. <laughs> I died inside. I was like, that was fucking horrible. 
Um, you know, I, di- I didn't go home and cry, but it was close. But those times are so valuable as a player. No, I, again, that's what I that's what I came here for, man. I I, I wanted to feel that again. I, I I yeah, like I said, I didn't hit a point in my in my mind that I thought I was done learning. It was it was, yeah. it was not that you it, never it, you never hit that point. Right. It was it, it definitely didn't come from a place, but I I was definitely. Like I said, there was only so many people I knew who were keys players, so there was only so many people I could go and watch and feel like, man, this guy has got something I don't have. Yeah. Um, like I said, it wasn't that I was that, that good. It was just there weren't that many. Yeah, um, totally. And then I, I got here, and it was like I walked into Carriage Jam, and there was six keys players signed up, you know? <laughs> you yeah. Know? Um, yeah, because then you have, like you were saying, the, the range of like age. Kieran is was the youngest you know, but then you had uh, Bill. Uh, I don't know if you know Bill Lang. Uh, yeah, I've uh, I've done a session with Bill. Yeah, know, and guy's been playing forever, killing yeah. player, all, all every genre doesn't matter. And, yeah, you know, like uh, lots of these guys, you know, and then through Kieran, Kieran was like, man, you got to go check out Wilburn Street Tavern. Every Tuesday night, you know, there's either Micah Holsher or at the time Ty Bailey had just moved down, and I, these were I didn't know their names at the time, but then I went and watched and. Ty was, first of all, if you've ever been to Wilburn Street, small kind of... I don't even know where that is. It's East Nashville near Redhead Stranger. Oh, okay. Um, small little bar, dive bar dope. Every two, I mean, they, I think they have music most nights, but Tuesday nights are Micah's night, but he hands it off to all sorts of people when he's on the road. So, and I think the first time I was there, Micah was on the road, so Ty was there with his trio. So he was subbing. Yeah, but playing B3 trio... With a B3, you know, like the guy brought the B3 in and, Hell yeah. and he's playing with the pedals. Leslie and, Speaker. Oh, yeah. No, Ty doesn't do it any other way, yeah. you know, and and just killing it, playing bass, like no bass player. He's playing bass. Yeah. And like real deal B3 trio. Is he playing with his feet? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And his guitar player, I think Adam McPhail's ridiculous guitar player. Uh, I think at the time the drummer was Marlon Patton, who's back up in New York now. Amazing, like I, it was. I called it my comic relief. I was going like every Tuesday night, and I would just go to laugh because yeah. they were on such another level to me that I was like, "I'm not. This isn't competition. I'm not. I'm. I am here just to sit back and watch these guys be and enjoy amazing. it. <laughs> well, that's what's great about this city, man. I, I. It's it's really like nowhere else, you know. I think it like the 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 music, the culture, the musicians, um, they really shape the the feeling and the mood of this town and. Of course, everybody, when they come to Nashville, they think of just country, which country, of course, is huge here. Sure. It's, it's, it, but it's like the Disney World, like Mickey Mouse version. Like that's the tourism thing, which there is something to be said for that because I, it gives us all of these resources for and sure. it brings all of these players through. But even now, you look Jack White's year, like KG Elephant, the Black Keys. All, I mean, remarkable. The 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 range, I mean, I saw Evanescence, they're here now. You know, I mean, like... They live in Nashville I'm, now? I'm pretty sure that they're here in Nashville. Yeah, I mean, the, the range of, you know, and there there is a pop scene. Is it an LA pop scene? No, but it's a pop scene. There's a pop, there's a hip hop scene for sure. R&B, funk. Uh, I mean, I, I there really is everything and when people ask me from New Jersey, like, what is my favorite part of, of Nashville? It's if you are a music person, whether you play music, you know, play an instrument or you're a musician or not, just somebody who enjoys and appreciates music. The fact that, like, realistically, if I want to go see live music, it's starting from 10 in the morning. If I want to, I can go down to Broadway. Yeah. And there's somebody playing. 
Yeah. There's a bunch of people playing, you know, and that's going till four in the morning or three in the morning, whatever it is. And that's just Broadway. But if I want to go and, and New York, sure, there's those kinds of things, but I was going to have to pay to walk into every bar that I walked into. Yeah. Everything's, everything's free here. It, for the most part, for the most part. Right. I mean, there's, there's like the covers. Sh- yeah. Like covers. And but, like, but to walk into a Wilburn street tavern and to see the caliber of musicians like a Ty Bailey, a Michael Holscher, these, these guys that are out touring with A-list artists for free. And, yeah. and they're doing it for fun. You know, like yeah. they, they don't have to be doing those gigs. And, well, that's what was always so fun about Carriage Jam because it's like a lot of those players, it's like, it was a wide variety of like dudes who have been, like we were talking about, doing it forever or dudes that are home from on the road, they're trying to keep their chops hot. They just want to come out and play, right? play the blues for a couple of songs or the dude who uh, moved here, young guys like us who are just trying to, do something. It almost doesn't matter to a certain degree what I, what I'm doing. I think as long as and it does. Don't get me wrong. You got to be smart about it. You got to have strategy. But as long as I'm playing or somewhat being active in doing things, then that's all that really matters to me. And oh, this yeah. is the place to be for that. No, for sure. It's funny as you as you're talking, you're making. I was thinking about the first the first time I was at the gig again. Another one that showed up. Eric Roberts is another organ player. Plays for uh, Kingfish. Is that? Am I saying that? Is is that right? I think so. The guitar player. Yeah, yeah. Um, I you know I knew Kingfish, didn't know Eric, and I was the first one to play that day. And again, to for me, I, I don't know too many organ players, so like most people don't even know how to turn on an organ. Yeah. So. I like got done playing, didn't know who Eric was. He walks up and I start to like, kind of like show him <laughs> just in case. Yeah. <laughs> like here's how this keys work. And then after I got down, got down, somebody was like, Oh, you got to meet Eric. And like, Oh, he plays for so." I was like, Oh, I just made a fool of myself. <laughs> I just tried to teach and this guy. Like, <laughs> and he was just like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, okay, he, he cool. Was, he was yeah. totally nice about yeah. it. He didn't give me a hard time, but, it was, but again, it was, I, and I, it wouldn't have occurred to me that that's, like you're saying, these guys just come in to just keep their chops. He was just there because he knew Kara and was keeping his chops up. Yeah. He was around on a Sunday. They weren't on to, on the road. And so that wasn't something I would have even thought of. Like, oh, after I get done, this guy who's on the road all the time is going to be next. Yeah. <laughs> I felt so dumb. <laughs> it was uh... – Well, it's it's good to be able to to see players like that. I think if, if you move to Nashville and you want to do music – like you, you obviously you love it. Like if you move from where whatever comfort you had, you know, um, to come here and just completely start over, uh, it's it's valuable just to to see and hear players that that love it. I think that's what's encouraging for me is seeing guys like Goose, who like he always has a smile on his face when he plays, sure, and he just he loves it. You can tell, and it comes through in the music. And they're just smiling and joking with each other and all of that. And there's nothing else like it. You know, I don't think there's there's really anywhere that's as welcoming as Nashville, no matter what level of player you are. Because that's the other thing about here. Everybody was new to town at, at one point or another. Right. For the most part, there are people that are from here that do music, whatever. Um, but for the most part, like everybody is from somewhere else and they were the new person mm-hmm. getting on stage for the first time yep. about to shit themselves because they're like i'm on stage in nashville which is a, a huge milestone it's like thinking back to that now it doesn't 
it doesn't uh, feel as big as it would have before I moved here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still it's still a thing, you know what I mean? Like, it, there's so many people that I I know, um, friends, whatever, who talked about moving with me that they wanted to do it, and then for whatever reason, girlfriends, jobs, it gets in the way. Sure. Um, and life happens, and I understand that. But I think for me, I've always just had some level of like psychosis where I'm like, I need to do this. Um, and that's what, what had moved me here originally. But, um, so what was the, the scene like in New Jersey and New York? So, you know, like that's the thing is that as you're talking about what makes Nashville special and how welcoming it is, you know, I don't, it's, it's hard. Cause I don't look back in New York and New Jersey as like not welcoming. I know some people would tell you like, Oh, it's, there's people, an East coast bias. There, uh, there, there is definitely. And I mean, they're not as warm. I, you know, I, if there were, all right. So prime example is Ty Bailey. I, first time I meet him, just walk up after his set and say, Hey man, you know, uh, you're, you're awesome. First time I got to see you. Uh, I'm also a B3 player. In, if I had done that with anybody in New York, or, I mean, ties up in New York sometimes, but like somebody who's from that area, my my expectation is that they're going to be like, cool, thanks, man. You know, like, yeah, that's that. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Ty was immediately like, you play B3? Cool. You have one? Sweet, dude. High five. And like, he's like, do you want to gig with it? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it was just an immediate, like, yeah. welcoming, you're like, you're just another keyboard player, you know? Yeah. So treated as an equal. Right. And and like I said, I don't know. I, it's not fair to say that that doesn't happen up there. Sure. Yeah. It's it's not fair. But I, I it, it in general, I have the confidence to just walk up to anybody down here. And I expect more often than not that I'm going to get a, a warmer welcome. You know, like, yeah, the, so many times it turns into right away. Like, well, oh, what part of town do you live in? Oh, cool. Let's get up and get, get some coffee. Let's trade yeah. some licks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And like that, that's real with people who I have either been had my eye on as a player, you know, like uh, even with photography, same thing. Uh, Michael Weintraub, you know, in the photography world, he's got instrument head is his project that he's like known for where he photographs, he's photographed everybody and he suspends their instruments in front of their head and it became instrument head. And he, and interesting. Okay. Super cool project. I was at uh, city winery uh, to see Peter Levin, who is another keys player, great keys player, who I knew from New Jersey. I knew the name from New Jersey because at the time I worked at Vintage Vibe as an electric piano company. He plays Vintage Vibe. So I like knew of Peter, but had never met him. Saw that he was doing an album release, went to the winery, and then at the end of the show, he thanked two photographers, Michael Weintraub and Jeff Fasano, both as a photographer, photographers that I had paid attention to. Same thing. I expected to walk up to them and just say, Nice to meet you guys. Really love what you do. Have a nice night. Weintraub immediately was like, yeah, where do you live, man? And I'm like, oh, I'm in East Nashville. He's like, oh, my studio's in East. Let's get coffee next week. Got coffee next week. You know, yeah. like that. And so, like I said, I don't know that it's fair to be like, well, people are cold in New York. It's just that they are way more open and welcoming yeah. here. And and it's regardless of what, nobody asked what my resume is. That Weintraub never asked a single thing about what I had done as a photographer. He was just like, well, Nashville, the, uh, the other thing about it, you can't be a fucking dick. That is huge. You, if you're not a dick, people will will fuck with you. 
um, to a certain degree. I mean, you, you gotta be, you gotta be cool. You gotta be easy to work with and you have to be on your shit pretty much. But, um, like I, I grew up in Maine, so that, that was my entire experience playing and like, it's interesting up there because mainly the way that you make money is by teaching, um, year round and then getting wedding gigs in the summer for like rich children who get married from Boston and New York. They come up and have like a fairy tale wedding in Maine. Sure. And you make pretty good money doing that. And it's like, I did a wedding gig or two. Um, and I, I taught like ensembles It's probably similar to the school of rock, that, mm -hmm. that kind of a deal. Um, and it was fun, but that was another instance where uh, it was just like I didn't know what else to do. I was like, I have to, I have to leave. I have to go to Nashville. And then not long after that, and this is this is fate, serendipity, whatever you want to call it. But I, um, I had this shitty 2000 Pontiac Grand Am. And for anybody who's already heard this story on the podcast, I apologize, but <laughs> I, I want to tell it to you because I feel like you'll be able to to relate to this. But I was like. I was working a sales job in Maine. I was getting a lot out of it. It was the first time that I was an actual like salesman other than just working in a retail store. And then on the weekends, I was teaching at Midcoast School of Music, which is where I played um, like my senior year. So it was like a uh, like a thing similar to School of Rock. And um, I was actually there in the, in the morning. I found out this girl that I used to date, she got engaged and um, I didn't want to go in. I didn't give a fuck. I was like, I don't want to go. And my band had practice, like my own band at the time. It was King Jr. Um, and basically what it ended up happening was I called my friend and told him what had happened, that I was depressed. I wanted to, I was laying in bed. Yeah. Woe is me, all that shit. And he's like, dude, you're being a bitch right now. You just <laughs> need to come, dude. We got it. We got a gig coming up. You can't just bitch out. So I went down. And a guy backed into my car and ripped off my bumper. Mm -hmm. And this car was worth maybe about $400 if I'm lucky, dude. <laughs> like, it was rusted to shit. Um, there, was no, there was no heat in the car. No AC. Couldn't defrost the windows. Anything. During winter. Um, so it was always a struggle. But uh, I ended up getting... Since I wasn't even in the car, my car was just parked in the parking lot at this music school. I look down and I just see my my bumper on the ground. And uh, the guy immediately came up. He's like, dude, I'm so sorry. This is entirely my fault. Yada, yada, yada. Um, but I ended up getting from like the insurance like $2,000. And I took the bag and I moved. There you go. And it was just a fucking miracle, dude. Um, sometimes miracles do actually happen. Yeah. No. It, it, and for me, so, you know, I moved right in the middle of COVID. Um, that takes balls to do. Yeah, it, it did. But it also gave me, you know, like that lull in what I was doing gave me the chance to be like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. And like this is I, I'm I'm nothing is happening for me here. I need to go do this. The the added factor I haven't touched on at all is that I had a friend. I still have a friend. My buddy Carlo lives down here. Um, he's a writer. Uh, he knew I was heavily considering moving to LA. Uh, you know, pre-COVID, I had gone out there and really spent 10 days, like, investigating, like, where am I going to move to in LA? Talking to Carlo, he was like, man, with your skill set, I think Nashville is where you want to be. So he put it in my head and I started to like really consider, I was like, and I had 
come on tour twice down here. And I was like, you know, I, I can catch the vibe, you know, like, cool. So it became like that, that was really the driving force that started to, to make me want to do it. Um, I can't say, and yeah. And then on, and then that was, that was right after the thing with the artist that not, not paid, like basically Carlo was an, an integral in, the, in, in all of that because he, I, we had known each other through elementary school, played soccer together in high school. Like he lived around the corner from me. We were grew up in the same town and then fell out of touch during college years. He didn't go to college. He went and did the writing thing, did the band thing. And then I saw he had a number one as a writer. And so I sent him a message and I, I think he knew right away that I wasn't trying to be like, I need anything from you. I you were just, excited. I excited and wanted to even just know, like, I didn't even know you did this dude. Like yeah. <laughs> you write songs. How did you write a number one? <laughs> like, you know? And so then we got up and he was the first one who like started to get in my head about like, Oh, this is really, I think this is really what I want to be doing is sitting there. It's doable. Especially when you see someone else that, you know, fucking doing it for sure. Absolutely. And, and through talking to him, like I said, then it became apparent that Nashville was really where I wanted to be. Um, so that was kind of it. And then COVID became the catalyst because, so for like the first six months up, in, up north, I mean, we were shut down, shut down. Uh, with good reason. I mean, Carlos is a great example. Carlos, unfortunately, his father passed of COVID in like the first month or so. And that made it so real for me because I had known his father for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, so like the, the fear was very real and we really, and I was living with my parents who are, you know, late sixties and I having seen that go, I was willing to do whatever I had to do to make sure that they were safe, which meant if I was going to not leave the house and go work jobs, fine. That's what I did. I didn't leave the house. Um, but about eight, nine months in, it was time to like, we need to start making money, start going and do stuff. So I went back out and started uh, assisting at a photo studio that was massive. And I felt safe in how big the space was that we weren't yeah. so worried about the COVID stuff. Um, and I just, from that, I told them from the day one, I'm working here to save money so that I can move to Nashville. And that was, I, that was what I did. And I just, until I'd set a goal, I said, okay, when I have $10,000 saved up, I'm going to go down to Nashville. Uh, and that was basically what I did. And it, it was, yeah, I mean, the, the final six months before I moved on July 4th was, I was really willing myself to do it. It was going like cutting every financial corner possible to just like, yeah, yeah. And yeah. also, and also I just started telling people I'm going, yeah, I, I, I there was no backtreading and yeah. I, I had to I was just you know from you set a timetable for yourself starting in March probably of that year I was like I am moving to Nashville and people just started to hear that was all I talked about I'm moving to Nashville I'm moving and it was the way I made sure that I moved to yeah. Nashville um so yeah I mean like that there wasn't COVID was the catalyst I suppose you know yeah um and I kind of nailed it perfectly in my timing if you ask me because it was just as things were opening up again down here, things were already opening. Um, the mask mandate had been like fully removed from the country, so yeah. we were no longer. But touring had not fully picked up again. Yeah. So all of the guys that we're talking about were were hanging around because they were hanging around waiting for touring to get going. Again. Yeah. So I I got so lucky to be able to you know I was talking about when I went to see Ty for the first time I'm sit, as I'm walking in there was three guys sitting outside I didn't know who they were I hear them talking about the Sopranos 
The town love the Sopranos. So, being from New Jersey, the town I grew up in and the town that my parents currently live in, literally next to West Caldwell, which is where the Sopranos takes place. So, like, some of that stuff was shot in my towns, you know. So they were talking about it, and I, I couldn't not be like, "Hey, talking about New Jersey," you know, like, and all of them were New Jersey keyboard players that were touring, play with touring acts down here, and it was just. You know, like I, I, I couldn't believe that that was, and that was how the first couple, the first month I was here, it was just like that constantly. I couldn't believe I was walking into places and this person was there and that person and this person plays for that person. Like that was real. Like I couldn't believe that. Um, and they were all accessible. You know, like well, uh, we probably played together not long after you got here. No, in fact, as you were when you were talking about it, I was thinking. I was like, I think officially that might have been my first official. I gig. think I remember you saying that. Yeah, which I, is kind of crazy because uh, to play that venue, like exit in, yeah, it was like you know people were like, "That's your first gig in Nashville? What the hell, <laughs> dude?" I don't know if you remember that this, but I was sick as fuck that night because I, I got the vaccine <laughs> yeah. earlier that day. I was like, I'm going to get this vaccine. That way I don't have to deal with any of the bullshit of getting tested or doing any of that anymore. And they were like, oh, yeah. Uh, so it's actually like two weeks from now that uh, that it, it, we can actually take your vaccine card. So you have to have a test. Right. It was such bullshit. But I was so <laughs> sick, dude, because like John. So it was with the Eldridge band. John Eldridge called me on like a Sunday morning and was like, hey, we have rehearsal Monday night for a gig on Tuesday. So I just went home and fucking because I was out driving for Uber and just like cranked out the songs. Yeah, cranked out the songs, um, and we played the gig. It was fun, man. That was a good gig. Hell yeah! No, like I said, I I when you were talking about it before, that was I I was thinking about. It and I was like, man, that is a really cool, crazy first gig to have had. You know, like yeah, and and thankful considering now. Not that it's gone, gone, but the exit is yeah, not it, as not it was. The, yeah, exactly. Um, which I don't even know what exactly is going on with that that whole thing. I I hear they're they're booking shows now. Yeah, I think it's just I think it's under new ownership. Yeah, yeah, and, or, or, corporate ownership. Yeah, one of those things. Yeah. Again. So it it is what it is. Uh, but you know, like I said, very very thankful and blessed. I for sure. I, and I I don't take those things lightly, man. There, there's places I've had opportunities to play in this place or that place where I'm 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 very thankful that I can say that I had that opportunity. Um, but yeah, that was definitely one of my first gigs. And, and even meeting John for me was like a, a stumbling thing. Like yeah. I made a post on probably when I first moved down, I made a post on the Yep group, the Facebook group, just saying, Hey, new to town. As we all do. Right. New to town. I do this, this, this and this. And particularly I, I did put on there that I'm a B3 player. John messages me like, he's like, I His dick <laughs> got hard immediately. <laughs> he was like, I think you're the guy I need to talk to. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap, you know? Um, and then, then he tells me he's a keyboard tech too. And I was like, man, you're the guy I need to talk to. So, um, so it was one of those things. Uh, and when I first met him and then he, he knew because of being a keyboard tech, he knew Ty and he knew Peter Levin and he knew all these guys. And I was like, he was like, Oh, I got to introduce you to this and Micah and all these people. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's really been, if I really, as I'm, as we're talking about it, when I really look at it. And I go, I go through this all, all the time because my first year, to be honest, was not easy. I, you know, I, I didn't expect it to be easy. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that the winters are like full. dead season. Nobody told me that. Yeah. And I, it comes to a full hard stop. Yeah. Um, right around Thanksgiving. And I, so f- even for me, the first year, I, you know, 
I was here from July. It started slow, and then things started to pick up in all of the things that I do. And then either all the way into New Year's Eve, I photographed an event on New Year's Eve. Then the first three months of last year, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. No photo gigs, no music gigs, no nothing. I, I photographed one band. Um, and I think that I came in really, when I came to Nashville, I came in with a, a strong mindset of how I was going to attack things and what I wanted to accomplish. And I did really well in those first six months of doing that. And then I had to switch modes to survival mode when it, I didn't know it was going to be the way it was. Those, And I think it took me until really until like the last three or four months to get back to being gung ho and, and like at it. Um, so last year when I when people were asking me what I thought of Nashville, I, I, I didn't have a really great answer um, because, A, I don't know how much I was really getting to explore when I had to like go into survival mode. Yeah. So I really You're just like, worried about paying rent and eating. A hundred percent. And 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 I really wasn't like I, I wasn't getting to go see places, go to the restaurants, people talk, anything, music stuff, any I I knew my house, I knew the jams I went to. That was those were the places I went. Um and but when I would start to talk with people about the things that I was doing and the people that I was meeting, I would have to realize like Man, you're just you're just too caught in it right now. Yeah, you're not really seeing. You're deep. Yeah, and, and I wasn't really seeing what I had accomplished. Yeah. Um. And now I do recognize, like I I I did a lot, a lot of a lot. <laughs> um. And it it set me up for a good place. Um. And I like I said, I think it, pretty much two or three months ago, I I started to, my mindset has now been getting back to, um. Yeah, I feel like I've got the survival. Th like, it's not as much survival mode. The winter is still the winter. Yeah, I, I at least knew it was coming this time. Yeah, <laughs> you can prepare. I, I, you know, I tried my best. I, I, I tried to do the saving thing. I, I don't know how much I actually accomplished of that, but I at least like mentally was prepared to be hurting. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, oh yeah. So, uh, and I think that that has really just put me in a way better frame of mind in general. Um, and I think now Nashville feels a lot more like home. Um. I, I, it's hard for me to, I don't know that I'll be here forever. Sure. I could be wrong about that. The reality is I don't know that I feel any place has ever, like when I applied to colleges, I applied to 16 colleges. I didn't know where I, I think I'll be fine wherever. That's yeah. kind of where, it, what it ultimately well, was. It's, it's all about the mindset and what Nashville really teaches you how to do is that hustle. You know what I mean? Of, of going out and fucking getting it. Well, so what I did know coming in here was that the East Coast hustle, whether it was LA, whether I went to LA or Nashville, I knew I was going to come here and there was nobody who was going to be moving at the yeah. same pace. That I knew. Yeah. And that was definitely what happened the first, like that, like I said, the first six months, I was everywhere. You were not going to go to a jam and not see me. Well, I think that those, and I've talked about this with Josh Norfleet a ton from the reveal, but um, the first six months are what makes or breaks, I think. It's not so much the opportunities that you find that can be a part of it, but I think it's how you have your mindset. Cause there's a ton of people who come into town, they come in so hot and then they burn out quick where it, and I'm not even talking about like burnout, burnout of getting tired. Sure. I'm saying just the fatigue of people always seeing you. Cause there's a difference between always being around and being present. And then it appears like you're doing shit. And then when you start doing a little bit less, and people feel like you've fallen. You know sure. what I mean? It's it's all about perception, right? And I well, so 
I started to be concerned about that as I dialed back from, you know, being at every single jam, uh, you know, I, but to, and, and I, it's also because I started to pick and choose where I wanted to go with things. I felt, you have to be selective at a certain point. Well, with the keys stuff in particular, I started to feel like I love playing. I love music. I love making music. I love and jamming in particular. So I love that uncertainty and just making stuff like that's where I thrive. I'm not. I, I I've been the hired gun. I had done that in Jersey, and I you know I was the guy you'd call and say I need you tomorrow with thirty songs ready to go. And, and I definitely, there was two gigs I, in particular I remember doing uh, where that started to change for me up north, where I, I started to, I remember crying because I had stressed myself out so much about this one gig Yeah, that I was like, this is not what I came to do music no. for. So the jamming thing, like I said, that, that I realized that was what I wanted to be doing. So that was why I was going to jams was because I enjoy making music. Yeah. But naturally you start to show up at places as a keyboard player people are going to start trying to hire you as yeah. a keyboard player. So I had to start picking and choosing when I was going to present myself as a keys player and yeah. how often I was going to do that. And I try to really make the jams now fun, pure, like I'm going to a jam because it's you're going to, for the hang into play. Right. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, that was one of the reasons I dialed it back a little bit in that sense was like, I, okay, and I needed, I felt I was not, we were talking before about the writing and production feeling that I was not doing enough. Like the people who are out here who are focused on trying to sell songs and, you know, the, the manufacturing a song and producing a song, they're doing it every day, multiple times a day. Yeah. And all day. Yeah. And that's, and I'm here saying I want to be doing that and that that's what I came here to do. And it's not fair to think I should be competing with any of those people if I'm doing it. Every other, even every other day, that would be nice. I, I can't yeah. even say I'm doing that. So uh, same thing. I kind of had to just dial back and go like, okay, I, I love playing, but really I, I know that this is what I want to be doing. And then on top of that, I have the photography and all this other stuff that I also have to do for business sake. And I love that stuff too, but. And you have the lo-fi thing? Correct. And, and so that project has always been, that was always my thing. That was what that was for is I, um, I was kind of in New York, you know, I guess I, we kind of, I sidestepped a little bit talking about the New York stuff, but I guess once I stopped doing the touring thing, you know, with that whole messy situation, then I, I said, I wanted to go into the pop writing thing, Car met Carlo again. And he was like, man, you, you need to go meet BMI folks and, and just get involved with the writers and start writing and doing that. So in the up North in New York, it was a mostly pop. Um, sessions that I was doing, and I was do I was doing a lot of writing sessions up there for sure. Um, so that became, you know, like, yeah, that 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 was what the focus was there. Uh, but then I started to feel like, and co-writing is cool, and I I love co-writing, and I think I actually need a, another writer. But my initial introduction into producing was through a hip hop group right out of college. I was part of a group that like. Uh, called the Dreamcatchers. Uh, that was, it was. I, I I'm so thankful that it was what it was. Um, it was like six or seven artists, and then two of us were producers. We were all different races, different, and and we just had this a melting pot. And it, and it was awesome. And the labels were interested because of that. And not that, you know, I hate using this term. More than once, people would refer to us. They were that we were like a, a modern, like kind of Wu Tang or like a you know any of the like. There's just 
a different kind of thing. Yeah. A group of minds together. Um, and hip, so hip hop was like where I got my start. And at some point I was like, man, I guess, I guess it was really probably right before COVID. I was starting to realize like when people would ask me, you know, oh, you're a producer. Can I hear some of your stuff? I would be like, uh, well, you can come like li- listen to <laughs> at my basement. <laughs> you know, like I have a whole bunch of stuff on my hard drive, yeah. but there was nowhere to go listen to Phil Silverberg or anything, yeah. any- anything that I had ever done. Uh, so I finally was just like, you know what? I'm going to do this, this lo-fi hip hop thing. That is like what I enjoy doing. It, it's the music I would make for fun just just listen to and i that was the goal is i wanted to make stuff that like me or my friends would listen that we would have been listening to if i wasn't the one making it anyway um so that was where the idea came from was like you know let me just start making stuff and and start putting it out and uh that was what i did what i became a huge advocate of this whole story actually because it's it was purely for fun with no intention of anything like I was just dumping the music out and then arguably not even arguably I mean my biggest placement is I had one of my lo-fi tracks sampled by Blackstar which is old school hip-hop group I I don't know if everybody knows but it was Mostef Talib Kweli oh shit Mostef goes by Yasin Bey now their album was a hugely influential album not I mean to me, of course, but like in hip hop, a huge album, and I and Mad Lib was the producer on it. I mean, these are legendary hip hop people, and like I said, my background is in hip hop, which that that these were people I really was listening to and studying. They hadn't put out an album in twenty five years, and I got an email, and I, I kid you not, the first time I saw the email, I like it, 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 going back to like too good to be true. I literally ignored it. I was like. Psst. Black Star's coming out with a new album. They want to sample my song. 25 years they've been talking about putting out a new album. Ha ha ha. And then they followed up with me like, no, no, no. We're putting out a new album. <laughs> and we want to use your track. And I was like, what? And to this day, I mean, if I go look it up on Spotify, I think the track has less than 3,000 plays. The individual, my track. One of them was Mad Lib. And he was like, yo, this is dope. And then he sampled it. And then they put it on the album. And so uh, my biggest placement came from creating something, you know, like all this other stuff that I spent years manufacturing, trying to sell and working so hard to like, and this thing that I probably smoked a blunt and sat and made a beat for fun, purely for fun. And then with no advertising, no marketing, none of that, all the stuff that they tell you, you have to do not a single thing, just put it out there. And it's the thing that, like resonated with somebody well Um, you're gonna have a a new track that's coming out by the time that this episode is up the track will be out what's the name of the new track (laughs) the the new one is called hot chocolate with a side of mellow or or hot chocolate with the mellow that's what it is (laughs) um a lot of the i mean when i'm making the tracks i'm always i have no idea what to name the things they're usually just named the date or whatever yeah um but you know if you look at other lo-fi stuff people do all sorts of different names and things and i think a lot of my stuff has either been named after like coffee things i became a big coffee drinker over the last couple years and so they're either like coffee names or this one was hot chocolate you know like i was definitely just listening to it i was like oh this feels like a 
a warm mug of hot chocolate. <laughs> you know, and it's super mellow. Oh, hot chocolate with the mellow. Um, so that was that was where I got that name from. But uh, yeah, no, I'm and uh, I. I, this year, my goal with the lo-fi stuff is I'd like to be putting out a, a track a month, um, maybe more. I think I probably will put out an EP in the next month or two because I already have – I've released now six or seven singles that I could just compile as as a full release that I'm yeah. going to do and add two or three new ones to that too. Um, and yeah, I mean, I really am just it, – it, that is my fun project. That is just my thing with – and it'll continue to just be with no, no intention of whatsoever, you know, like really just make the stuff I want. If nobody listens, who cares? What's the name of the project? So it goes, I go by the artist name Lo-Fi, but it's spelled L-O-P-H-I. Uh, it's my tongue in cheek. I'm, I'm always this kind of guy. Wordplay is my thing, but my name Phil is in that. It's got the O on it. And then, and then the logo is, uh, you know, the, the Greek letter Phi. It's a lowercase phi, so it's a low phi, you know. Nice. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Where can people find you at? Uh, I mean, for music-wise, anywhere that they're streaming music, it is on, it's up there. Uh, you know, I'm on Spotify, Amazon, uh, Apple, you know, the Deezer. You know? How about on socials? Um, so I've got a couple different Instagrams. Uh, my... It, Oh, I have like one dedicated to my photo stuff is just Phil underscore Silverberg. It's silver like the metal B-E-R-G. Um, that's just my photography stuff. And then I have one that's dedicated to the music, which is Phil underscore Silverberg underscore music. So you'll be able to find both of those. And then Lo-Fi is its own separate one. I know it's annoying to have all these different ones. It really stemmed from when I was heavily doing fashion photography in New York. I knew that uh, the agencies were had no interest in anything else that I was doing. They just wanted to know that I photograph fashion really well. So yeah. I like dedicated one to that. And then the music stuff, I was like, all right, well, this will just be music and not have any of my photo stuff. Yeah. And then lo-fi, I was like, well, if I'm doing the artist thing in quotations, let me have this page that's dedicated to being an artist. So those are all my, that's the, the Instagrams. And then, yeah, I mean, I'll, pretty much the same on all the other stuff, you know, Facebook and I guess Twitter, I don't really use very much, but I'm on there and I do repost every now and then, you know, so. Well, hell yeah, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Here is a uh, hot chocolate with the mellow. Is that it? <laughs> I believe I, I'm, I'm, I went back and forth that. I believe it's hot chocolate with the mellow. Okay. <laughs> uh, Phil, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it too. Of course. Uh, keep on dreaming. I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.